Christmas Eve. The perfect couple was driving their perfect vehicle, of course a four-wheel drive pickup truck, along a winding road when they noticed someone stopped by the, ro- by the side of the road in distress. Being the perfect couple, of course, they decided to stop and help. There stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys. Not wanting to disappoint any of the children, on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple, couple loaded Santa Claus and his toys into their perfect vehicle, and soon they were driving along, delivering toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions deteriorated, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. Only one of them survived the accident. The question is, who was the survivor? Of course, the perfect woman survived. She's the only one who really existed. Everyone knows there is no perfect man and there is no Santa Claus. So if there is no perfect man and there is no Santa Claus, the perfect woman must have been driving, which explains the accident. All right, now that we've made everybody happy this morning, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. That is my favorite Christmas joke of them all. I, uh, like I said, I like dumb Christmas jokes, but uh, I enjoy that one. So, glad you're here this morning. And I'm glad we can come to the scripture today and really see some things, uh, even here as we look at the Christmas story and uh, the reality of the promises of the Old Testament looking at the Christmas story, how it is that God deals and, uh, and really kind of the idea of the message today is that God steps into the situations of life that are the most difficult to deal with. And I'm so glad of that. I'm so thankful that we have a God uh, who does not shy away from the difficulties, but rather he deals directly with the difficulties that we face in life. And we see that uh, pictured re- really even in the, crisp, <clears throat> excuse me, the Christmas story. Uh, if you're able, if you'll stand with me uh, one final time this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, we're just going to read two verses. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for even the Old Testament promises of the coming Messiah. And Lord, as you foretold the first time through your prophets the coming of the Savior, that he would be born, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Lord, even the details that you gave us, we recognize that these things were done at the very moment that you spoke them. And Lord, already you have told us that uh, there will be a second coming. Lord, we look forward to that time, but we also recognize that there's preparation for that time. I pray that you'd help us to be prepared. I pray that you would help us to uh, be able to see you work in a mighty way in these days. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Have you ever been in that place where you just don't know what to say? Where it seems like words just are, are inadequate and, and you want to be a blessing to somebody, but you just don't know the words? I remember one of my best friends uh, when we were in college, 
I was walking out, and uh, I remember after chapel, uh, he had been asked to stay for a couple of minutes and uh, to come and speak to one of the, uh, the, the people on staff. And so uh, a few minutes later, I was walking out of chapel, walking across the parking lot, and I saw one of my best friends. He was over kind of hunkered down between a couple of cars, and I thought, that's strange. And, uh, and I don't, don't know exactly what he's doing. It just kind of seemed like an odd thing. And, and I thought, maybe I should walk over. And I thought, well, no, he looks like maybe he just wants a few minutes. And, and so I just kept on walking. And by uh, the end of that day, a couple hours later, uh, the word had begun to spread around campus that uh, my, one of my best friends, John Jupp, that his uh, family, they were on deputation at that time, and they had been in a wreck, and his dad and one of his brothers had passed away uh, in that wreck. And it was a, a very challenging time, obviously, and uh, it was a, a heartbreaking time. And all of us were uh, brokenhearted and, and things of that nature. And I remember as he left and traveled back for the funerals and things of that nature. And, and I remember thinking, you know, I want to say something that would be a blessing, but I really don't know what to say. I mean, and, and especially to call on the phone and things like that. I mean, I mean, what do you say when they answer? Hey, uh, I mean, you know, I've told people before, sorry for your loss. And they've said, yeah, everybody says that. You know, and it's like, well, I, I know. I just don't know what else to say. And, and, and so I was struggling through and trying to figure that out. And, and uh, I remember he came back and uh, everything kind of took off somewhat normal. He preached in chapel towards the end of the year and things. He'd been gone for a couple months. And, and we were talking and he said something about, you know, you never called me. And I said, well, I know. I said, I just, I was trying to figure out how, what to say and all that. And I just, I was struggling with it. And, and uh, I just, I wasn't sure exactly what to say or what to do. And he said, I understand. There's, there's, he, I've been there too. And uh, he was very gracious about it. He said, but I'll just tell you, when you don't know what to say, just saying something is a blessing a lot of the time. And, uh, and I said, okay, that helped me. And so uh, we had a good conversation about some of those things. And I learned some through that. But I remember the feeling, and probably you've been there, where you know the feeling of, I wish there were words I could say or something I could do that would fix a situation, that would just make somebody feel better. But I recognize there's no words. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. There's no way that I can just fix the situation. My words seem to be inadequate. But aren't you glad that our God does not ever come to that place? It's an amazing thing. I mean, it's amazing how our God would deal with situations that are incredibly difficult, and yet he always knew exactly what to say. I mean, sometimes he would come to somebody in a difficult situation like Job and rebuke him. You know, I mean, and humanly, we'd look at that and say, that's not the time to rebuke him. But God knew exactly what he was doing and molding Job into. He knew what he needed. You know, sometimes he speaks words of great comfort and peace. And, and there are times where he would come, as he did after he rose from the dead, into that upper room and all the fear that was uh, there. And he would say those words, peace, be still. It's going to be okay, or, or fear not. And, and, and they could be at peace. He has the ability to step in and know exactly what to say, and his words are powerful words. They're not words like ours. Uh, it's amazing how he was able to prepare the disciples to be uh, getting ready to go uh, to the, the, he was ready to go to the cross, and they're there on that night as he's about to leave and go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's talking about him about, uh, to him about, I'm going to go to a place that you can't come now, and someday, and he's going on and on and back and forth, and, and he knows that they're about to go through the greatest trial of their lives, and he says to them uh, those amazing words, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. Hey, let me just prepare you for this. Let me, let me still your heart as we're coming into this situation. It's amazing as you watch not only the words of Jesus, but the words of the Old and the New Testament, and the way that God deals with and speaks to the greatest challenges of our lives. The greatest difficulties that we can ever face. He is the one who is not afraid of them. Uh, he is not silent on those things as sometimes we might tend to be uh, because we don't know. He always knows what to say. And the reason is he's the one who made the heart and he's the one who knows how to heal the heart. He is the one who knows the words and the moment and the time uh, to speak into that situation. And so I really just want to preach this morning on the child of promise, the child who would come and it was promised that he would be the one who would come with great peace, who would bring great healing. And we see this child entering into our world and the foretelling of that in Isaiah chapter nine. Uh, someone said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been health, God would have sent a doctor. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. Oh, what a promise. Oh, what a truth that God sent the Savior into the world. That he might come, that he might die and that he might rise again. I want you to notice this morning with me three truths that are revealed in this passage about the first coming of our Savior. First of all, we see the problems. You know, it's an amazing thing. God is the God who's in charge of everything. The Bible tells us that he had predetermined, preordained a lot of these things before the foundations of the world. You know, I, at least I think, it seems to me like Thinking as a man, if I was going to preordain, predetermine the time of my own birth and the time that I was going to enter into the world, I might choose a time where there was some economic uh, growth. I might choose a time where there was some relative comfort. Uh, you know, I mean, if I was God planning when I would be born into the world, I might have chosen a time that had indoor plumbing. I mean, you might look at some of these things as a human and say, there are times that might be a little more comfortable. But our God did not do that. As a matter of fact, as it's really foreshadowed here in Isaiah chapter 9, he picked an especially difficult time to come into the world. He picked a time and he, he arranged a time that was especially trying and troublesome. And, and we see the foreshadowing of that in chapter 8 and verse 22, uh, the last verse of chapter 8. It says, They shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. We see all these ideas of darkness. If you carry over into uh, chapter 9, verse 1, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. It won't be the worst ever. Uh, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea and beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations, the people, now here we go again, that walked in darkness, have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath light shined. So there's a good side. He's going to bless in this, uh, as he's about to foretell the coming of the Christ child, there's going to be blessings 
But these are people that are walking in this darkness. These are people that are in a time of difficulty. These are people that he's going to come to as Israel was at this time in Isaiah's time where there's a spiritual darkness and there's a physical difficulties and challenges and all these things are swirling. And, and as you read down through these verses, you find terms like trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, driven to darkness, people that walked in darkness, people that dwell in shadow of death. Over, I mean, if this is not a great setting to enter into. I started thinking this week, why is it that God would step into humanity, into our world, in a time like this? Why not have it be a time that was more simple. Why not have it be a time that was more happy and cheerful and and bright and there's already joy in the world? The reality is this, I believe somewhat at least it's an element of a picture that God is saying when we come to our lowest, when we come to our worst, when we come to the most difficult of valleys, he meets us right there in that place. He's not afraid to step into the places that for us are places of great darkness. They're not for him. The places that for us are times of great difficulty, God is the one who can help, and God is the one who can meet the needs at the lowest points. And it might be many different things that are represented this morning, but I think probably all of us today would say this year's had some challenges. This, this week, certainly, as a church, and uh, for much of the family that's here today, uh, of Brother Frank, it's had some special challenges this week. It's been a heartbreaking time, a difficult time, and and as a church, we've felt much of that. We've wept together uh, through the course of this week, and and as we've gone through this whole year, there's been challenges, and and, and, you know, I thought, well, I could preach just a normal Christmas message, you know, and just talk about normal things, or we can try to make some application to where we are, and I really think uh, that there's some need to say, hey, even at Christmas time, we can see in this story that these are, and this is where I made this reference earlier, and as I was thinking about it uh, in study here over the last couple of weeks, but thinking about that the reality, this year is not a bad year, but it is a hard year. It's not bad because God uses all these things. But it is hard because we don't know exactly the path and we don't know all the decisions and and we don't know all the balance of everything. We don't know how to do everything, just uh, exactly uh, what we ought to do here and what we ought to do there. And and there's strain and there's stress. And it's not just in our uh, our church or those here this way. It's throughout our whole entire nation. It's really across our entire globe. And there is a, uh, the Bible uh, talks about that groaning that comes from it. There's a, a groaning really that is worldwide, it seems. And our whole world seems to be in turmoil. Isn't it amazing that God stepped into the world when the whole world seemed to be in turmoil? Wouldn't it be something if he decided to do that again? Amen? But Well, he won't step in, but he might take us out. But the reality is, as we stand here today, we can stand here with the absolute confidence, no matter what happens in the world around us, He's in control of it. He's determined and decided, and he knows exactly what's happening. And number two, he's good in the midst of it, and he knows what we need. 
you know, he speaks of this time and how difficult this time is. And, and really on both sides of verses 6 and 7, the actual prophecy here of the, uh, the birth of the Messiah, it comes back into these kind of dark tones afterwards. And, and on both sides, it's this reminder of the difficulty of the day. And as Isaiah is writing, uh, of course, it is uh, true that in his time there's great darkness and difficulty. And it's true that it's also a foreshadowing of the way and the, the timing that Jesus would come and be born. And so you think forward into the Christmas story about some of the challenges that were there, some of the difficulties, some of the darkness that was there. The first thing that comes to my mind of the Christmas story when we read it in the New Testament that really speaks to that darkness is there was taxes. Amen. The one thing you can never get away from. And uh, they always affect your life. And so here were the taxes that were coming. And uh, of course, we have some fun with that. But the reality for them is the travel that had to take place because of the taxes. What a difficulty, what a challenge, what a struggle for Mary to have to take this trip. And, and so there were the taxes. And then we think of that, uh, that, that danger of the trip. It was not a uh, like today where you jump in a car and you just kind of take off. It was the danger of uh, going through the, the wilderness. It was the danger of robbers and others that would be there. And of course, even Paul uh, speaks of the dangers of some of that travel. And so here they are, they're traveling along and uh, in a somewhat compromised uh, condition for Mary. She wouldn't be able to run well. She wouldn't be able to uh, travel at a very fast pace. She wouldn't be able to do some of those things. And, and so there's the taxes and the traveling. And, and then they arrive and there's nowhere for the Christ child to be born. And, and all the world is kind of just seeming to be in an upheaval. And everybody's traveling back to their own places. And, and certainly nobody who's traveling is happy about it because they're having to take a trip just to go pay their taxes. And uh, I mean, I'm sure there was not anybody they were passing on the road going the other direction to wherever they were from that was saying, isn't this great? Man, don't you just love going home to pay taxes? Isn't this just fantastic? I don't think that was probably, uh, it was probably grumbling and complaining and all these things are going on. And so I think about all of that uh, in that moment. Then we think about the tragedies that were taking place. One of them, Herod was in charge. Herod was a puppet king. He was, would have been an Israelite. His job, uh, basically, the, the line of Herod's, their job was to rule over the people there in that uh, jurisdiction and to make sure that they followed everything that, uh, that Nero would say, or that the emperor of Rome would say. And, and really, they were just a puppet in the hand of the emperor. They were those who were willing to, uh, for a little bit of comfort and a little bit of, uh, of privilege, be uh, willing even to turn over their own people most of the time. These were difficult people. These were uh, difficult days. And we know that they were wicked men. The Herod, uh, who's in charge at this time, we know that uh, two, a couple of years later, when Jesus would have been around two years old, he had all the babies to and under killed. What a tragedy. What a darkness. What a spiritual darkness and what a physical, uh, human, emotional darkness that there must have been. You think about the shadow of death and and his coming into this world was in that very shadow. What a a horror, what a tragedy, what a, a manner to come into this world. It's an amazing thing. There were all kinds of problems. There were all kinds of difficulties and, and things that we would look at and say, you know, there's a lot of times where there would have been a year that God could have picked that probably would have been a little easier. There would have been some times in history God could have picked that would have been a little more convenient. But he stepped in to a hard year. He said in the midst of a hard year, the light of God is not hindered whatsoever. 
the light of the glory of God would shine in the heavens for those shepherds as we heard in Sunday school this morning. The reality is that Jesus stepped right into the midst of a great hardness of this nation and, and a great difficulty for the nation. And he came and brought joy and light and he came and brought the very glory and he brought it all right into a hard time. Aren't you glad as we go through hard times, aren't you glad as we're in the midst of a, or now nearing the end of a hard year, that we can look and say, we have a God who's still light. We have a God who still gives comfort and joy in the midst of this year. We have a God who can still offer peace in the midst of a year like this. We have a God, he is not in the least bit hindered by the darkness that is around. He's not in the least bit hindered by the spiritual darkness of our nation. In fact, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And and he's not hindered. We have a God who is not in any way hindered from giving peace and joy in the midst of all the trials and all the problems that have come through uh, in this year. In the midst of it all, he's able to step right into the middle of all the problems and say, I'm still God, I'm still good, I'm still in control, and you can still trust me. What a God. And this is the way that he chose to enter into the world. I see the problems, but then secondly, I see the provision. Verse number six, it says, for unto us a child is born. Two times it's going to say the word us, unto us a son is given. What an incredible statement from God. I mean, wouldn't it seem as though he would say, my son is going to be born. But Isaiah says it's unto us, mankind. He was born for us. He was born for our good. You know, one of the great joys of life is when a baby is born. There's certain responsibility that, responsibility, I'll get that word eventually. There are certain responsibilities that come when a child is born to us. For our family, of course, uh, we, uh, with adopting, uh, one of the questions that people ask oftentimes, how old were your kids when you got them? And uh, Liam was about 10 minutes old, maybe, and Abigail about 35 or 45, somewhere in there. And, uh, but either way, when those children were born, it was uh, understood. They were coming, and we were going to get to have them right off. And, uh, and, of course, there's a little more to it with paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that the element was there when we held them that first time, and, and especially once it was all finalized, uh, we knew this child has been born to us. God placed this child in our home. And, and many of you know the, the emotion of that moment as you hold that child and you think God has entrusted this little person to us and we got to figure out how to keep him alive now and we don't know exactly how to do that. And I remember the first few times trying to feed Liam. By the time we got to Abigail, I had an idea at least, but first few times trying to feed Liam and he didn't eat good and he didn't want to take it, you know, and like smashing that bottle in there, like just drink some. And, uh, and how do you do all that? And I remember one night I was trying to get him to drink. I I think I'd called the hospital that night and said, he's just not drinking. What do I do? And I was trying not to wake Vanessa up because she was tired and she'd been up a few nights. And, and so finally, I just kind of laid him there on my chest and I fell asleep in the chair and I was holding him. And somewhere, uh, you know, a couple hours later, I guess my hand had fallen and he somehow at like three days old rolled and he landed on the floor right off my chest, right off the chair. I just heard the thud and, uh, and I don't even remember moving. I just know the next thing I knew, the end table was flying across the room and I grabbed that thing, got it out of the way. I picked him up and I figured he was probably broken in pieces. You know, it's just kind of how you think of a little guy like that. And, uh, and I picked him up and he was kind of just crying a little bit. He was fine, went back to sleep. And I remember, you know, the, uh, the emotion of we've got to keep 
keep this little guy going and we've got to figure out how to take care of him. And now it's new emotions and we don't know what to do with some of those things. And, and it's uh, each stage and each step and you're trying to figure out how do we handle all this. There's responsibility that comes to receive that child into our home. And there's responsibility that comes to care for the needs of that child. You know, it's an amazing thing. Unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. The reality is God gives the responsibility to us to receive that son, that child. To receive him in salvation. And then he allows us, he's the head, but he allows us as the church to be the body, to go carry out the work of God on this earth and to, to do the works. And he even said, and it's an amazing statement, greater works will you do an amazing thing and we get to do the work of God in this world as ambassadors of Christ what an incredible reality here's what he says here's the need I'm entrusting that work to you now I expect and I need you to go be faithful in doing it you know God could boom from heaven with a voice of thunder and just give the gospel to the whole world and and I don't know exactly why he doesn't just do it that way why would he entrust it to us we're so unreliable but I'm sure glad he does. I'm glad he lets us be co-laborers together with him. And he allows us to be able to, to labor to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. That's the responsibility. And we get to carry out the work and we get to uh, receive the son. And, and we have so great of opportunities here. We see the entrance. Uh, first of all, this provision. We see the entrance of the Savior. A son is born. A child is given. Uh, it was not a spectacular in, uh, entrance as we might anticipate. Um, it wasn't born with pomp and circumstance. And really, this is unnoticed by most of the world. A few smelly shepherds would come in and, and look over the, the, the babe. A, a few others would come. A couple of years later, or a year or so later, the wise men would enter and, and they would bring some gifts. But, but as far as most of the world was concerned, it wasn't a big deal. Just another baby born. There wasn't even room for them in a good place. And so they just kind of got born out in the stable and it was just a, a part of life. Nothing special, nothing big. No pomp, no circumstance. It's an amazing thing. He entered in that kind of a manner. And isn't it interesting how often the things of God go unnoticed in this world? We have a world that on Sunday thinks the most exciting and important thing that happens is a football game. We have a world uh, or, or a city here in Kansas City, especially now that we've won a championship, uh, who thinks that the greatest thing that can happen is when the Chiefs win on a Sunday. And that's what determines for many how good or how bad of a week they're going to have. They're, they're up when the Chiefs win, and they're down when the Chiefs lose. And you know, the reality is that's the world around us. But that ought not be how we operate as a Christian. We ought to be saying, hey, there's something way more important. And the world may not write uh, the story in the newspaper when somebody comes and receives Christ as their Savior, or the, the world may not write the story in the newspaper when somebody's heart is helped and they're encouraged and they're able to go through a week and, and keep on going, and maybe somebody who's battling and struggling, and, and now they're able to press through another week and keep on serving God. And the world will never write the stories of those things. But isn't it something God in heaven's taking note? God's paying attention. And in his economy, those are the things that are of great importance. What we do here every Sunday is so far and away more important than what happens in any football field any Sunday. The reality is God looks, he pays attention, 
and he's taking note, and he sees the person who teaches the Sunday school class, and he sees the person who cleans the toilets, and he sees the person who makes sure the chairs are set right, and he sees the people that put in all the work behind the scenes to make a service uh, go and flow smoothly, and he watches, he sees all those things, and he's taking note of it all. Here in heaven, this birth was celebrated. In heaven, we know that the heavens were were brightened up on that night sky with all the angels coming to rejoice and to praise and to give the, uh, the declaration that the Christ child was being born. Oh, it was noticed in heaven. But on earth, relative silence. It's an amazing reality. And sometimes we get discouraged because it seems like nobody notices. It seems like nobody sees the the service and nobody sees the labor and nobody sees the times that we work behind the scenes and and nobody notices when we do this or we do that and and, and nobody said thank you from the pulpit and and, and we didn't hear how great of a job that we did on this and somebody else may have and and sometimes the devil comes into all that and, and he tries to tempt us to say you know what that's just not right that's not fair you know the reality where we ought not do it for the praise of men or it's over. But God in heaven notices. God says, I'm going to reward them for that. They're just serving me. They're just being faithful. They're willing to just do what I have for them to do. And so we see here comes the Christ child and he's born in a difficult time and he's born with somewhat of a silence. And so we see the entrance of the Savior and then the excitement for the Savior. The things that were of true importance, while they may not be exciting here, they sure are in heaven. What an incredible night that must have been. What a day to see the skies lighted up and, and, and what it must have been to see that uh, as a, uh, a shepherd. But you know, probably even more incredible would be what it must be like in heaven when one sinner repents and trust Christ as their Savior. Because the Bible says that when that happens, that there is present uh, in the presence of the angels. I always thought for a long time that it said that there was joy among the angels. The angels were rejoicing. That's not what it says. It says in the presence of the angels. Uh, that means what's in their presence, if they're there before the throne of God, is God himself. I believe the idea is God is the one who's rejoicing. Now, I think they're rejoicing too because he is, but it's God. Can you imagine God himself as Christ is sitting upon the throne and all of a sudden the news comes, hey, another one just joined the family. Somebody else is going to be coming home. Somebody else just trusted Jesus as their Savior. There was another person who made the decision your sacrifice on the cross. It's worth it. Here's another one. And you can just imagine almost as Jesus in in excitement and exuberance jumps up and he's just, I was going to say praise the Lord, but I don't know if he says that. But I mean, can you imagine jumping in? Yes, another one's coming home. Another one's been saved. Another one's made that. Another one's in the family. Oh, how wonderful. What joy there must be for our Savior when it comes. Can you imagine as awesome as it would be to be on that hillside with the shepherds and see the angels, how much more it must be to be seated at the throne of heaven, the throne room of heaven, and see him, God, rejoicing? Because one sinner repented. You know, it's an amazing thing that probably whenever you trusted Christ, your name is called out and the rejoicing took place. It's an incredible picture. And so the things that in this world sometimes uh, are not of excitement in heaven, they truly are. The excitement 
for the Savior was real. We see here, first of all, the problems to which he entered. We see the provision that he brought. We see that he brought the provision of the Savior and the provision of being God in the flesh. And, and we see that he comes in this kind of a manner, the provision of the Savior. And then finally, we see this morning the promise of the Savior. Verse number seven really gives us the promise. It tells us here, first of all, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. We see here the coming of the Savior. He's going to come with peace. Well, he did come, excuse me, with peace. He came to bring peace to the world and and in Christians now, but for all the world will be one day. We see that he came in hard times and that reveals his help and his presence even and maybe especially in times of the greatest difficulty. You know, when we get to the end of our rope, when we get to the, the bottom of the deep valleys, when we get in the midst of the deep waters, God's right there to meet us. And the fact is, there's nobody else who can meet us there. There's nobody else who can carry us through those moments. It must be Him. And aren't you glad He gives us, even in the Christmas story, the picture? He's there. He's choosing to step into our situations. And he chooses to step into our heartbreak or our fear or our areas of danger, our times of trial. He chooses to step into those very moments that sometimes people say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. And God says, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly how to help. I made you and I can heal you. It's an amazing God that we serve. We see here that Jesus came, and he came offering peace, the coming of the Savior. He tells us that this, uh, verse number six, unto us a child is born. That speaks to his humanity. That speaks to the fact that, uh, that he is coming as fully man. It's a child. It is a, a regular uh, person. And and yes, he's going to be God also, but he's also just as fully man as you and I are. And so this child is going to be born. And then it says, unto us a son is given. And that, of course, pictures his deity, that he is the son of God. Then as we come down into verse number seven, it tells us a little bit about him here, uh, this increase of his government peace. But notice the end of it, there shall be no end. Why? He's the eternal God. God says, look, I'm sending one who's going to be fully man. He's a son. He's going to be fully God. Uh, Or excuse me, he's a child. He's going to be fully God because he's my son. And then he's going to be the one, I just want to clarify, he's not another God. And he's not just kind of becoming God. He's not starting to exist when he gets there. This is the eternal one. This is the one who's there from eternity past to eternity future. There will be no end and there will be no uh, conclusion of his reign. He is the one who will reign for eternity. He is the one who's the all-powerful. This is truly God in the flesh. We see here the condition of the Savior, fully God and yet fully man. As God, he's in full control of every element, of every situation of our life. But as man, he fully experienced every emotion that we'll ever experience in any situation of life. It's an amazing uh, tie that that it has. As God, he steps into the hardest situations of our lives with the ability to say peace and give a peace that passes all understanding. But as man, he wept with Mary and Martha. 
Well, he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back, but he wept with them because of the sorrow of the heart. And, and he knew what it was to feel that emotion, to feel that sorrow and even that loss. As God, he was in control, but as man, he knew the emotion. As God, he enables the joy of the Lord in the midst of the deep valleys we encounter. And yet as man, he says, I've been tempted in all points like as you are. Yes, I'm in control, but I know what it feels like where you are as well. What a God. Isn't it amazing that he can say to us in the middle of a year like this year, as all the turmoil and the strife and the, uh, just trying to figure out where everything is and, and how things work in this new environment that we find ourselves. Isn't it amazing? He says, I know exactly what it is to be there. I know exactly how you feel. As God, I'm in control because I was a man while I was on earth and, and I took on the form of, a, um, or not just the form, because I became man. I understand all the emotion that you're going through. It's an amazing reality of who our God is and how our God works. You know, as we stand in the end of this year, as we look at the trials that have come and the heartache that has come, I just want to remind us, we have a Savior who's so good. And he stepped right into the most difficult time of humanity. And he said, I'm in control. I'm the light of the world. And I can take all the pressures and I can handle them. I can deal with them that are coming in your life. And that same God is the one who has taken up residence in us in the Holy Spirit of God. And he's the very one who says in 2020, I can still handle the pressures. I can still bring you through the valleys. I can still help you in the times of heartache. I can still bring you through the trials. I can still enable the victory. I am still the God who you can trust as being in absolute control in the midst of it all. As man, Jesus understands our emotion. As God, he is the healer of hearts and he's the calmer of souls. He's the one who has the ability to fix us in the midst of the problem. Jesus is not afraid to meet us in the depth of the deepest valley. So I'm glad this morning as we walk through these days, we can look and we can say, Lord, we don't know exactly what to expect in the future. We don't know exactly where everything goes and leads. We don't know exactly what it's all going to look like. We don't have a clue what 2021 is going to hold. When we stood here a year ago, uh, we had no idea 2020 was going to be what it was. So now we stand here and we look at 2021, and at least if you're a little bit pessimist, you kind of go, well, we didn't know what 2020 held, and it held this. There's no telling what 2021 may be. Who knows the depth of the valleys that could wait. But you know, in the depth of the valleys, God's still there. He meets us there, and he gives the joy of the Lord. I've told a few people, I've learned so much in the last a few weeks, but especially the last week, as I've just watched Evelyn walk through some valleys. And really, she's walked through, I think, some of the deeper valleys that I've seen. And yet, in walking through those, she's just maintained the joy of the Lord. It's been an amazing thing to watch. Oh, there's heartache, there's sorrow, but there's also been joy. She's been able to laugh. She's been able to talk uh, about things and, and just be able to have a joy that is unique. You know that joy can't come from her will. It has to come from the Lord. And as I've watched that, I've said, you know, she's gone through a deeper valley than I think I've been through and, and that I've been even really close to 
and she's maintained the joy of the Lord. I just want to say thank you for that this morning. You've taught me a lot. Whether you knew it or not, I've been watching, I've learned. And the reality is this. In the depths, God says, I'm right here. And I'm walking through it with you. Just keep walking by faith. Keep the joy of the Lord. Let's go forward together. And we have a God who has the ability to meet the needs of the deepest valley. I see finally the compassion of the Savior. He's going to offer unending peace. We know that he would be born in Bethlehem. That means he was born in, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And he was born as the living bread. The one who we can partake of in salvation. And then the one who abides within us to enable us to live out this life he's called us to live. Are you walking with him today? We have such a great God born in a manger physically. He, he came in such difficult times. And he says to us through all of that, I'll meet you in the valley. I'll walk through it with you. And because he came and because he was born and because he died and because he rose again, he can offer to us the Holy Spirit of God. He doesn't just walk through it beside us. He walks through it with us as he indwells us and empowers us to walk through those things. Are you walking with him in that manner today? Are you saved and are you following? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, the reality of it is that you have enabled us to see here in this passage how incredible that you are. Lord, how it is that you walk with us through these things and and that you come to us in the most difficult of times. Father, we need that. We need that truth. Lord, we thank you so much for the pictures that are here in this first Christmas and as you came to this world and even the prophecies of that first Christmas. Lord, thank you so much for coming in that manner, for dying for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to know you. And we pray now that you will enable and help us to be uh, so indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that we can just keep pressing forward and walking forward, not by grit, but really in the joy of the Lord. And we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Perhaps this morning you'd say, you know, Pastor, today,